Photo Shelter presents Vision Slightly Blurred. I'm Alan Murabayashi. And I'm Sarah Jacobs. Sarah Jacobs, we have just launched our newest photo shelter guide. It's entitled Photography Mentorship, Why You Need It and Why It Helps Everyone. You can download it at photoshelter.com slash resources. We'll have that link on our blog at blog.photoshelter.com. But for those of you who were unaware of the Photo Shelter Mentorship Program, we actually launched a, a bit of a pilot test in March. And we had 40 photographers, 20 mentors, and 20 mentees uh, and engage in this six-week program. And we had a number of guest speakers, including Sarah Jacobs, <laughs> talking about photo editing. What was that experience like for you? Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, I was really honored to be contacted to ask to come speak. And uh, we did it all via Zoom because the mentees were all over the world, really. Um, and I just got to talk about photo editing and how to edit your portfolio website. I gave tips. Um, the class asked a lot of amazing, great, good questions. Um, and we really dived into it. It was a lot of fun. It's always hard to edit your own work. And certainly one of the benefits of using a mentor is, is just getting an extra set of eyes on your on your, your projects. Definitely. Yes, it's super important to have a fresh set of eyeballs. Todd Bigelow was another uh, one of the guest speakers. He has a new book coming out. We're going to interview him uh, in, in a few weeks. Um, I love this quote from Todd O'Young, who's a music photographer and Nikon ambassador. He said, competition may drive you, but community will build you. Mm. Super into that quote. And totally. I know, I know it sounds like we're patting ourselves on the back, but I had nothing to do with writing this guide. So let me just talk about it after, you know, I, I got to read it. And... <laughs> You know, the stuff that you're going to find at the beginning of the guide, you might say, oh, I know all this stuff already, it's sort of checklist-based stuff and, you know, stuff that might might seem obvious to you. To me, the value of the guides are always in the case studies. And there's a couple yeah. of case studies in here talking about the approach that the mentors and the mentees took. Um, and, and I think that's where you see the rubber meeting the road. You see the real-life examples of how the mentorships really, really played out. Um, and, you know, if nothing else, it's worth downloading uh, for that. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a really great guide with a lot of good examples. Um, if you want to be a mentor or if you want to find a mentor, how to have those conversations, what to even talk about, how to really structure your time with them and all that good stuff. Did you ever have a mentor, like a photo mentor, Alan? <laughs> <laughs> So I'm the type of person who was like too scared of getting a mentor because I didn't want to be told that what I was doing was bad. So it was mostly oh. ego and fear that kept me from having business mentors or photo mentors or music mentors. And mm -hmm. I suspect that I could have gotten a lot out of it. So now that I'm older, I spend a lot of time trying to mentor younger people mm -hmm. um, because it's fulfilling. You know, it's personally fulfilling. And I think that it adds a lot of value to the community and, and to those young people's lives. So. There you totally. Go. You were too much of a perfectionist. That was the, that's <laughs> Something the like issue. That. I don't know. <laughs> Sarah, for the past five years, I've had the pleasure and the honor of serving as one of the judges for the Audubon Photo Awards. The 2021 winners were just announced. And every year, boy, the, the photos are amazing. The grand prize winner was uh, taken by Carolina Frazier, who took a photo of a greater roadrunner in Texas. It's also the cover of the, the current issue of Audubon magazine. 
And they say to never photograph a, a bird from behind. I didn't, but this I didn't know one that. is hmm. fantastic. It just hmm. blew me away when I pulled it, pulled it up on my screen. It's this uh, dust-filled backlit image of a roadrunner kind of looking back a little bit. It's very reminiscent of kind of an old Western movie to me. Mm -hmm. um, I just thought it was wonderful. What did you think of some of these photos? It's a, first of all, yeah, the, the grand prize winner is just a striking image and it does have that kind of old school Western feeling about it. Um, my personal favorite was Robin Ulrich's shot of a mother sandhill crane with its baby colt um, who is sitting on its back and the colt has its neck just resting on top yeah. of its mother's head. It it just gave me all the feels. It's just such a sweet, sweet image. Um, it was photographed in Winter Garden, Florida, and um, they let you know that young colts, these young colts, sandhill cranes, stay with their parents for upwards of eight months, which is pretty long in the bird world. I got to tell you, you know, every year, as you can imagine, we get a lot of photos of parent and child, and it mm -hmm. takes a really incredible photo to, you know, make an honorable mention or. To, to win, win a prize. And this was certainly one where I thought, wow, this is a fantastic image. Mm. Um, a couple other ones that I, that I wanted to point out, Steve Jessmore photographed a Northern Cardinal with its wings just touching the top of, the, of snow. And mm. the light is shining through its feathers, casting a slight red shadow. And I, again, I was just sort of blown away by the detail in that. Um, Audubon, you know, every year Audubon tries to figure out how to make the, the photo contest uh, relevant and appealing. And this year they added a video category and a female birds category. The video category I had nothing to do with. And when I saw the winner, Bill Bryant, uh, his footage of a red-tailed hawk floating on the air. It looks, I mean, the bird is apparently physically stationary as it's just cruising, like drafting on the air. It's amazing. It's fantastic. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's really cool footage. I mean, you're just watching its head just be able to stay completely still, but its body is moving <laughs> with the wind. And you're just like, how is it physically possibly doing that? It's, it's really striking footage. And then you may or may not know that most of the male birds in the bird world have the colorful feathers, like a male peacock. And a lot of the female birds are kind of, quote, dull, if you will. Um, and so Audubon had a female bird category. And the winner of that category was Elizabeth Yicheng Shen, who won for her photo of a northern harrier in flight. It's tack sharp. The light is beautiful. Fantastic image. I was curious why, yeah, what differentiates the female bird category, but I, I guess, so that's it. You're, you're getting a striking image of a bird that might be less colorful. Yeah. Is that the whole reason? Okay. Yeah. And you know, they, they've added over the, the past couple of years, um, you know, native birds interacting with native plants, which, mm -hmm. which is fascinating. Now here's the thing. I am not a bird expert and I'm not a fauna expert. And so we have experts who can literally say, Oh, that's a so-and-so bird. It was probably taken, in this area, uh, it's, it's amazing to be a part of the judging process because there's so much great expertise uh, yeah. on the judging panel. It's, it's one of the highlights of my year in terms of, you know, photo, photo related participation. That is really cool. Congratulations to all the winners. We'll have that link on our blog at blog.photoshelter.com.
New legislation has been announced in Norway um, that will require social media influencers and advertisers to attach a disclaimer label to retouched images. And violations will actually be punishable by fines. Um, This is supposed to go into effect July 2022. uh, And the regulations were passed as an amendment to the country's Marketing Control Act. They are intended to, quote, raise awareness among people that the perfect bodies in advertisements do not show people as they appear in real life. Um, This is a really interesting move. You know, I wonder who... I mean, this is obviously trying to help the youth understand what they're seeing and understand that it's not quote-unquote real. Um, But I do wonder if they already kind of know that since since young people are so engaged in social media. You know, it's very different than when we were young where we'd look at ads but we didn't understand in newspapers or in magazines on TV and not understand you know, that they were filmed with special filters to make everybody look really good yeah. or photoshopped um, to the max. So I, I do wonder, like, who exactly this is going to help and if it's going to help. I, I have to agree with you. Uh, I'm thinking back to, of course, you know, warnings on cigarette packaging. You know, mm-hmm. the Surgeon General warns that this could cause cancer. And in some countries like Canada, they actually have photos of, you know, tumors and really gross things on the packaging as a way to oh, yeah. visually uh, as a way to visually dissuade people from smoking. But but ultimately like everyone gets so used to seeing that stuff that they ignore it. And I think when you're mm-hmm. trying to change behavior, the thing that's been really effective is taxing the hell out of cigarettes <laughs> and, <laughs> and suing the and the the, the companies. Mm-hmm. My understand, my admittedly basic understanding of body dysmorphia is that even if you know the image is manipulated, you can't help yourself. Right, you, you always see yourself as not as how you appear, mm-hmm. and so. To the extent that a little label or a blue check mark is going to tell you that this image was manipulated, I, I have to agree with you. I don't think it's going to make any difference whatsoever. It reminds me of a number of news stories that I've seen over the years about how selfie dysmorphia is driving people to take plastic surgery. There's an article that we're going to link to uh, that came out of the uh, the Guardian, and you know the the pervasive use of filters and automatic skin retouching gives people dysmorphia. They think that their their natural skin is ugly because the camera's automatically smoothing their skin out. And the other thing is that the selfie lens, because it's on the front and your arm can only extend so far, it's a wide angle lens. Mm-hmm. It distorts the stuff that's closest to the lens, which happens to be your nose. So a lot of people yeah. think that their noses are larger than they actually are because they're using the selfie lens. Mm-hmm. It's a weird, unintended consequence of, you know, the selfie culture and the camera phones that we have. Yeah, totally. And we've talked on this show, um, for example, about the age of Instagram face, which was an article published in The New Yorker written by Gia Tolentino um, back in 2019, that this is a this is a very, very real issue yeah. um, of people wanting to alter their appearance based on social media, what they're seeing on social media, 
what they're seeing in themselves via the social media. Um, it's definitely a real issue, but it, it, I, yeah, it just kind of goes back to will these labels help chip away yeah. at this bigger, bigger problem? On the other hand, you know, I've been seeing more and more photos and advertising at least social media-based advertising where things like stretch marks aren't photoshopped mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. And I mean, as a consumer, honestly, I have a little bit of mixed feelings about it. It's like, you know, retouching really? exists to get rid of flyaway hairs that you couldn't, you know, the wind came by and it blew the hair out. Um, and if you're shooting against seamless, you don't want this distracting hair, you know, in the frame. So mm -hmm. I see the value of retouching. Do I want to see acne on every model's face? You know, like, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's a tough thing because we grew up with it, with perfect images. It's hard to, to think of yeah. the reverse being okay as a way to sell products. Yeah, there's definitely been a shift, I agree, in advertising and the images that we're seeing um, of different body types and different skin types and all of that. Um, I would say that really started with Dove's campaign yeah. like years and years ago and it's it's only progressed um i hope i honestly i like it i hope to see more of that that more inclusivity but we'll see time will tell in the new york times an interesting article about the chinese company tencent uh which has started to use facial recognition to limit youth's play on the cell phones of certain video games so since 2019, China has imposed a cyber curfew between 10 p.m. and 8 a.m. for people under 18. But as you can imagine, it's almost impossible to enforce. So now the Chinese internet conglomerate Tencent said it would be deploying facial recognition in its video games called Midnight Patrol to detect whether someone's under 18, which is just crazy to me. Oh, it's, it's creepy. Some of the I citizens are in favor of the controls, but others, uh, according to this article, are vocalizing disagreement, citing safety issues and its overly paternalistic role that a company would take on the role of trying to police who can use their apps and during what times. Very, very strange and scary. Yeah, there, there was even a hashtag on the microblogging site Weibo reminding video game users to be fully dressed while playing <laughs> in case cameras can record more than the face, which is, yeah, sadly, that, oh that's kind God. of a good warning. <laughs> uh, yeah. mm -hmm. unless, mm -hmm. unless you're a Twitch streamer who's, you know, that's your shtick is playing games in your underwear and that's how you make your money. And, <laughs> You know, should a should a company be policing all of that? I don't know. I think that the you know governments, particularly China, which has kind of an iffy record about using facial recognition um, to police its citizens, to say the least. You know, it's not reassuring that a, a, a Chinese company is also exerting its control to do something that arguably parents should be doing. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And they're automatically like weaponizing playing video games somehow makes you at late at night makes you bad. Right. right. <clears throat> Which like, that's a whole discussion right there. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Photographer David Hobby has spotted a content creator studio in a mall last 
the last episode, uh, Alan and I discussed abandoned buildings, which included a lot of malls across America, and also content creation studios, which are popping up all over the place. And um, David Hoppy came across uh, a the state social studio in a mall outside of Washington, D.C. It's rentable for $25 an hour. Um, and it's basically, yeah, you can go in there and make Instagram content, TikTok content. Um, they're about, Stay Social's About Me page. I found their About Me um, paragraph pretty, pretty wild. It says, quote, Stay Social USA eliminates the fears of creating content in a social media-driven world dominated by COVID-19. Mm-hmm. As a one-stop shop for content curation, Stay Social serves as a, social, as a fully equipped physical studio location to point and shoot. End quote. Okay, what? <laughs> like, in the fears of the... I, yeah, that's I have a lot of... A little fear-mongering. It's, it's a little fear-mongering, exactly. First of all, yeah. shout out to David Hobby, who announced on Twitter a couple of weeks ago that he was finally retiring the Strobist to pursue oh. another project. Strobist has taught thousands of people how to use little handheld strobes to take better photography. Uh, I've always been a big fan of what what David's been doing. So it's cool to see him um, hanging his hat at the end of the day for the Strobis, but also moving on to new projects, which he will announce at some point in the future. But David is prolific on Twitter and we've gotten a lot of ideas. You know, we talked about learning photography on TikTok because we saw tweets that David was making. So Mm -hmm. not surprising to me at all that he found that stay social studio in a mall exists. (laughs) 25 bucks an hour if you have access to backdrops and uh, ring lights and stuff. It's not a bad proposition if you're yeah. kind of an up-and-coming content producer. It beats the hell out of buying rolls of Seamless and trying to store it at your house. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. There is apparently 10 themed studio spaces within this one mall that you can pick and choose which one you want. And you can rent them even for 25-minute increments. So you can go in there, get it done leave, go shopping afterwards, go to the Cinnabon. I mean, yeah, exactly. (laughs) I literally see kids and young people dancing on the streets all over the place with tripods and, you know, creating content. I mean, and the crazy thing is you don't know whether they have 25 followers or 250,000 followers, right? Right. Um, So, I mean, this is the way the world is turning now. We talked about the Regal Suite the other week, the all pink former Airbnb space in Brooklyn that's now rentable by the hour as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a bit of a sign of the times that, you know, content creators, individual content creators don't need to go through the g- traditional gatekeepers, um, but they do have to feed the machine of creating content on a regular basis to, to satisfy their, their, their followers. So totally. why not go to the mall? I, I personally love malls. I know that malls are kind of <laughs> out of fashion and a lot of them have gone Definitely. out of business, but I love mm-hmm. walking around a mall. Yeah. The AC in a, in a mall on a hot day. <laughs> that's a, that's a good day. What I want to know is like who, which photographer is out there documenting this mm. whole phenomenon? Like I want like a really high-end photographer using like medium format film or something like a really cool setup to be thoughtfully documenting all these people that are these content creators because it's it's just such a cultural phenomenon 
That's a great need to, project. I need to document it. Yeah, definitely. It's up for grabs, whoever's listening, but uh, let me know. I would help produce it. <laughs> well, that's it for this week. All of the links that we talked about, you can find on our blog at blog.photoshelter.com. Since you're here and you're listening, hit that subscribe button. Leave us a five-star rating if you can. It really, really helps get the uh, word out about the show. You can always tweet at us at Photoshelter. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Photoshelter is the online leader for photography websites and workflow tools. Archive, distribute, and sell your photos in a mobile-friendly, responsive website. Try one free for 14 days at photoshelter.com slash podcast. Then download one of our free educational guides at photoshelter.com slash resources.